Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to John chapter 9. That's where we're going to be this morning. John chapter 9. Instant replay has changed um, how sports are watched and how sports are officiated. Um, Last week, for example, uh, there was a game between Real Madrid and Barcelona that happened um, during um, the church service. So I know that none of you watched it because everyone was here. Uh, But... In that game, there was uh, a situation where in the 75th minute of the game, um, there was a Barcelona player who was taken down inside the the penalty area. Um, The referee saw that um, there was nothing wrong with that and decided to to move on. Instant replay, they call it VAR in soccer. He decided there's no need to view that because it was a clean, clean tackle, no problem. Then a few minutes later, a Real Madrid player was taken down in the area. Very similar situation. Again, he did not call a foul. But then he's like, I should probably look at VAR this time. So he goes, he, he watches the video, he sees it from different angles, he sees it slowed down, and he decides, oh, that was a foul. So he gives them the penalty kick, they score another goal, and Real Madrid beat Barcelona very sadly. But... In that situation, both of those situations, the referee one thing, but it wasn't until the situation got slowed down, until he had new eyes of instant replay looking from different angles to watch the same thing, that he realized that what he first thought he saw was not actually what happened. And what we're going to see in John chapter 9 is that, that we need Jesus to open our eyes just as a referee needs a video replay to open their eyes. But we need Jesus to open our eyes to something so much more important than a penalty. We need him to open our eyes so that we can see who he is and so that we can see who we are in light of who he is. And the great news is that Jesus is ready and he's willing to open our eyes. And this truth is important for for all of us today because the way that we view Jesus and then the way that we view ourselves affects every area of our lives. See, if we think that that Jesus is this this far-off, distant God who who doesn't really care about us, doesn't really care about the the situations that we are in every day, then we're not going to pray, we're not going to trust him, and we're we're not going to see him work in the ways that he wants to work. At best, we would live as, as Christian atheists, basis, basically believing that, that God is existing, but, but living as if he doesn't exist. And at worst, we would live lives that are completely opposed to him. But on the contrary, if we allow Jesus to open our eyes and we, we view Jesus as the scripture, as near and, and powerful and infinitely interested in us and, and caring towards us, then we will pray about everything. We will trust him for the impossible. We will see God show himself faithful time and time again. Living as children of God with eyes wide open to the the majesty and the power of our God. And it's my prayer for all of us that God would bring us to that place today. So the main idea of John 9, the main idea of our sermon this morning is that we boldly proclaim Jesus as God who sees and meets our deepest needs. We boldly proclaim Jesus as the God who sees and who meets our deepest needs. 
As we pick up the story at the end of John chapter 8, Jesus um, has declared in no uncertain terms that he is God. Um, He makes it abundantly clear. And those who hear Jesus saying that he's God are so bothered by the fact that he says that that they pick up stones and they're ready to kill him with those stones. Thankfully, Jesus is able to get out of the situation. He leaves the area. He starts walking with his disciples. And that's where the story picks up today in John 9 and verse 1. It says this. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So imagine the scene, right? They're, they're walking and they're going past this guy who they've, they've seen many times. He's always been in the same area. He's always been blind. He's always been begging. And the disciples think that this is a good time for them to ask Jesus a question, a theological question. They say, Jesus, why is he blind? What's the reason that he can't see? Is it because he sinned? Is it because his parents sinned? Jesus, give us a theology lesson. And Jesus responds and and he tells them, actually, the reason that, that this man has been blind is so that the works of God can be displayed in him. See, the disciples viewed this man, this situation as a, as a theology lesson. Jesus viewed him as a man who is in need of a touch from God. And he continues, he, he tells his disciples that the time is now to do the work of God. Verses 4 and 5, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Because night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So I want us to grab from these verses this truth that Jesus sees people as people. He sees people as people. See, for for Jesus, this this man was not an an object lesson to figure out this, this difficult theological topic. Instead, he is a person who is in desperate need of the power of God. He's a man who needs a touch from Jesus. Nothing more, nothing less. Jesus sees people as people and not projects. And as followers of Jesus, he invites us to do the same. In Jesus, in his great commission to his disciples, he says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them, knowing that that I will be with you every single step of the way. And this command to make disciples is is something that is so different from all of the other um, activities that we do in life because making disciples is not a a formula. It's not a perfect process. Making disciples does not have a a clear start and finish line like so many many other things do. Like, for example, mowing a yard. One of the reasons I love to mow my yard is because there is a clear start and a clear finish. Right? When I go to mow, um, it's a project. Discipleship is a process with people. And we have to understand this differentiation because otherwise we, we can grow weary. We can, we can give up with the people that we're pouring into, with the people that we're teaching to walk with Jesus. 
as we're praying for them, as we're walking with them, and we're not seeing the, the maturity growth maybe as quickly as we want it to, we can give up if we don't understand that it's a process that God has invited us into. See, when I, when I mow a yard, I, I'm able to control the whole process. I see the start, the grass is long. In this season, there's, there's leaves everywhere. Um, there's literally leaves blowing everywhere as I look outside. Uh, there's leaves everywhere, grass is in different heights, and the reality is like you have a very clear start. So I grab my mower, I turn it on, I start pushing it, I make straight lines back and forth and back and forth, and then there's a clear finish, right? The yard is, is all the same level. The, the leaves are, are either picked up or they're completely shredded so they're no longer a problem, and then I put the mower back in the garage, and it's done. And it takes an hour, max. Right? We don't have a huge yard. So it's, it is quick, it is clear, it is easy. Discipling people is, is not like that. See, when I start to get to know people's stories, I, I can see aspects of who they are. I can um, learn things that, that brought them to this point. And usually, though, I, I can't know everything that's going on under the surface, at least not in the beginning. But as we start to read the Bible and as we start to pray and as we start to, to ask God to, to reveal things in our hearts, then, then the process and the progress begins to be seen. Like, oh, there's, there's growth. God is, is doing a work. He's, he's bringing freedom. He's bringing life. And then there are ups and there are downs, but we, we start to see growth And yes, the person that we are discipling, they start to look more like Jesus as the Spirit is working in their hearts, as, as we are walking with them, but it is not a formula. And there's, clearly, there's certainly not, not a, a clear before and after that is done in one hour, right? Discipleship is a process with real people. Why do I know that? Well, because I disciple people, one, but two, because I'm a disciple, right? I know myself. I'm talking about myself. It is a slow growth process that the Lord has invited us into. I have moments of great fear and great doubt, and I'm like, did I forget that we serve a powerful God who created the heavens and the earth, right? There's moments of that in my life, and then there's moments of great faith when I'm like, shoot, I'll, I'll jump straight into the, the middle of the, the ocean if that's what God tells me to do, because I know that he's powerful. I know that he's loving. I know that he will meet me there, back and forth, ups and downs. But the reason that we can see people as people and not projects that we have to, to work on, the reason that we can obey Jesus, the reason that we can make disciples, the reason that we can be patient in that process is because Jesus is patient with us. His patience is a beautiful gift. And so we simply give what we've already received from Jesus. Because for Jesus, people are not projects to complete, but individuals who he's ready to transform more into the image of Jesus, which means then for us, our spouses are not projects for us to work on. They're people who we love and point to Jesus. Our kids are not projects for us to work on. They're people who we love and we point to Jesus. Our coworkers and our, our clients and even our fellow church members are not people to work on. They are, or they're not projects to work on. They are people to love and to point 
to Jesus because Jesus sees us this way. We can see others this way. He sees people as people, and because he does, then he shows his power in the specific way that each individual needs it. So look at verses 6 and 7. It says, having said these things, Jesus spit on the ground, he made mud with the saliva, then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud, and he said to him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. And so he went, and he came back seeing so Jesus here is, is proving that, that he did not see this man just as a project, but as a man who is in need of his touch, and so he moves towards him. He doesn't just answer a theological question. He goes to this man. He spits on the ground. He rubs some mud on his eyes, and he tells the man, go to the pool of Siloam, wash. And this man does exactly what Jesus tells him to do, right? And then he, he returns to Jesus, and he's able to see Jesus healed him. He gave him sight for the first time in his entire life, even though he didn't even ask for it in that moment. It's a beautiful moment of Jesus' kindness, but what's even more beautiful is that Jesus is going to use this miracle to reveal a spiritual reality that this man needs spiritual sight just as he needed physical sight. So write this truth down, that Jesus meets our deepest needs. Jesus meets our deepest needs. We're going to get there at the end of this chapter, but this man who was once physically blind realizes, I'm also spiritually blind. He's going to have his eyes opened to Jesus as the Son of God, and he's going to experience two miracles in the same day, physical sight and spiritual sight. I personally can't feel... um, Certain portions of my face. Fun fact, now if we play a game of two truths and a lie, I can't use that with any of you. But I had a, a jaw surgery a few years ago. They had to cut a bunch of nerves. And um, yeah, some of them didn't grow back. So I still can't feel portions of my face, which is great. I've asked God to, to heal me. I've asked him to, to touch, you know, the areas that I need feeling. And um, I think portions have come back over the years, but, but still there are portions that I simply can't feel. And so even though maybe that need of mine has not been fully met, there is a deeper, deeper, much deeper need that Jesus has met, and that's forgiveness of sins. Right? Forgiveness of sins is my deepest need, and that's the, the need that Jesus for sure has met. Why? Because he came And he lived and he died for my sins. He was buried. He rose from the dead. He gave his life so that I could experience eternal life with God. Jesus met my deepest need and it cost him his very life. And the beautiful news is he's done it for each and every one of us too. See, just as this man was blind from birth, you and I are spiritually blind from birth, both by nature, by choice, you and I have, have been given the title of, of sinners because we've rebelled against God. And so as a result, we need Jesus to open our spiritual eyes. We need him to do a miracle. We need him to show us our need for forgiveness. And as he does, he then shows us, not only will I reveal your need for forgiveness, but I will meet that need with myself. That's what he does. 
So now if we will acknowledge that need, if we will receive forgiveness through faith in Jesus, then we will have our deepest need met by him. We'll be forgiven. We'll enter into relationship with God that, that will last for an eternity. We will have God as our father. We will be his children. And we'll be sent into the world with a powerful testimony. See, the moment that this man washed the, the mud off of his eyes, he, he saw a body of water. That body of water was the pool of Siloam, and John tells us what Siloam means. He says that it means sent. So the first thing that, that happened to this man is he, he saw a pool called sent, and he knew, man, I can see, and now I'm sent. Jesus was reminding him, if I've opened your eyes now, you are sent to share that message. And the same is true for us. Right? Jesus has opened our eyes to see him for as he is. And now he's sent us into a world that needs to hear the same message. That Jesus came to open blind eyes. He came to bring salvation. He came to bring life. We've been changed by Jesus. That testimony gets shared and as that testimony gets shared, some people are shocked by it. Listen to what happens when people start to see this guy, starting in verse 8. It says, the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he's like him. And he kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how are your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, I don't know. So understandably, there's, there's confusion among the people as they see this man who used to sit and beg without being able to see walking around. Some of them are like, is that him? And they're like, I think it is. But I don't know how in the world he's walking around. I don't know how he can see. Some of them are like, no, it's, it's, it's not him. But man, he looks a lot like him. Like I wonder if his twin brother came to town to visit that we didn't even know he had. But all the while this guy's like, no, it is me. I, I'm telling you, it is me. So they ask him, how were your eyes opened? How can you see? You've been blind your entire life. And he tells them exactly what happened. Well, Jesus met me and, and touched me, and then he gave me instructions, and, well, now I can see. This highlights a beautiful truth that Jesus gives us strong testimony. He gives us strong testimony. Listen to how his testimony continues. I'm going to read verses 13 through 25, but I just want you to, to sit in this, in this place. Listen, imagine that you are watching this scene. It says that they brought the man to the Pharisees who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. And so the Pharisees asked him how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, well, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. So they said again to the blind man, 
what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? And he said, he's a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He can speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that anyone, if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he's of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been born blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. And then he dropped the microphone that he wasn't holding. (laughs) Right? The religious leaders, the the Pharisees are all upset because they, they don't like Jesus. They can't stand it when he does miracles, especially when he's doing them on the Sabbath. And so they're questioning and they're cross-examining this man. They're trying to figure it all out. And finally, he's like, here's the deal. I was blind my entire life. Now I can see. It's simple and it's profound as that. I never once could see. And now I can. And Jesus did it. Right? That's my testimony. He's like, I don't care what you do with it. You can do what you want with it. That is simply what happened. And isn't it true for us that Jesus has given us a strong testimony too? Right? Hopefully you can look back at your life and say, I was addicted to sin, but now I love Jesus. I was was trapped by constant fear, but now I can truly say that Jesus is my prince of peace. I had no hope for the future, but now I have been given a secure hope in Jesus. I was headed for an eternity apart from God, but now I have the hope of eternal life with Jesus forever. Those are strong testimonies that Jesus gives us as his followers. And those strong testimonies stand in contrast to the testimony that other religions have to offer. Alam and and Abigail and me, this summer, we were sitting in our backyard talking to two Mormon missionaries that we had met, and after about an hour and a half of just conversation with them, we finally realized that their one goal was that we would open the Book of Mormon, read the Book of Mormon, and believe whatever was written in it. So I said, okay, um, can you tell me from your experience, like, what can I gain from the Book of Mormon that I can't gain from the Bible? And they kind of looked at each other, and, and one guy responded, and he goes, well, Um, ever since I started reading the Book of Mormon, I've been a lot happier. I was like, okay, (laughs) anything else? No, no, that was was the strongest testimony that they could give. If I read the Book of Mormon, maybe I'll be a little bit happier as a person. And I was like, man, that's, that's a weak testimony. Like, that's, that's the best that, 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 that they have to offer, happiness at best, but at worst, it's, it's this constant striving, trying to see, am I good enough? Do I measure up to the standard that, that has been set for me? 
Jesus offers something so much better. He offers forgiveness of sins, right? He offers assurance of eternal life. He offers eternal peace. He offers secure hope. He offers a defined purpose. He, he offers an intimate and eternal relationship with the God of heaven and earth. Just to name a few. Like, that's what I can gain from reading and believing the Bible. And the one that the Bible points to. Jesus gives his strong, his people strong testimony. And that strong testimony is meant to be shared. So I want to encourage you this week, keep your eyes open for opportunity to share what Jesus has done in your life. Whether you have time to share one sentence, like this man, I was blind and now I see. Or you have an opportunity to, to sit for hours and share story after story of what Jesus has done in your life. Look for opportunity. Share the strong testimony that he's given us. Because if you've been saved by Jesus, you have a strong testimony. And that same Jesus who, who saved you is ready and willing and able to save others. See, as this story continues, the, the Pharisees continue to question this man. He continues to give the same response. At one point, he's like, why do you ask me this so much? Do you want to be his disciples too? Makes them very angry. And they get so angry that eventually they're like, that's it. You're out of here. We we're going to kick you out of the building. And that's where we're going to pick it up starting in verse 35. It says that Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him. And it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. So having already had his, his physical eyes opened, this man now experiences spiritual sight. In a beautiful moment, he's like, Jesus, who is the son of man? And Jesus says, you have seen him. The one who opened your eyes, that's me. And he says, Lord, I believe. And we learn that Jesus came for the blind. Jesus came for the blind. Yes, he healed this man's physical blindness, but then he used that miracle to heal his spiritual blindness as well. And as we read this story today, we, we understand that Jesus came to open spiritual eyes. He came to rescue everyone who would acknowledge their need for him. But not everyone does. Not everyone thinks that they need Jesus. Verse 39 says that Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. And some of the Pharisees near him heard these things, and they said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. So Jesus here is, is revealing the spiritual need of every human heart, right? There are those who, who know that they are blind. They know that they need forgiveness. They have their spiritual eyes open by Jesus. And in contrast, there are those who, who think they see. They think they have it all figured out. They think that, that they are confident in themselves. They have no need for Jesus because they're good enough Jesus is ready to open the eyes of those who know that they are blind. And he's ready to show those who think they see 
that they are actually blind apart from him. So the man who was blind, now he can see. And the religious leaders who thought that they could see have just been told by Jesus that they are the ones who are blind. The blind man made innocent, his sins forgiven, while the religious leaders are found guilty. And so I wonder, which character are you? Which character am I? See, if you know that you are a sinner in need of forgiveness, if you have acknowledged your need before God, if you have asked Jesus to forgive you, then Jesus has. He's touched your eyes and you can see. You can see your sin for what it is, that your sin is evil, dirty, wrong, against God. And so you hate sin. But at the same time, you can see God's grace for what it is. That God's grace is available. That God's grace is is beautiful. And that God's grace has been poured out on you. And so you love Jesus. You daily rejoice in his grace. You daily rejoice in the truth that Jesus came for the blind because you know that the truth that Jesus came for the blind means that Jesus came for you. And as a result, you have a beautiful testimony like this man. Jesus saved me. I was blind, but now I see. And Jesus did the work. So we boldly proclaim Jesus as the son of God who sees and who meets our deepest needs. But on the other side, we may be thinking, man, I think I'm actually more like the religious leaders in this story. I don't really, I've always thought that I don't really need Jesus because I'm, I'm doing a good enough job. I'm, I'm a good enough person. You do the right things. You, you come to church. You give. You, you help out. You, you see a need and, and you meet it. You're even respected by people as the, the religious person. See, all of that was true for the Pharisees. But yet Jesus declares them blind. Why? Because all of the activity that they were doing, all the things that they were participating in, all of their religion was just for themselves. They wanted to look good. They wanted to be respected. And they certainly did not want to acknowledge their need for Jesus. But Jesus was not deceived by their good looks. He was not like, oh, you're doing a great job, so you're fine. No, He knew the heart of each and every one of them, and he knows the heart of each and every one of us. For them, he knew that their hearts were blind. So let Jesus reveal your heart today. And if you're like, man, I think that I'm actually more like the religious leaders. I I think that I can do it all by myself, that I don't need Jesus. Then it is his grace that he's revealing that to you right now. The reason he's revealing that to you is because he's opening your spiritual eyes to see I need Jesus him. He's revealing that in your heart because he wants to meet your need right now with himself. But you must admit your blindness. In order to receive forgiveness, you must first admit that you need it. In order to receive sight, you must first admit that you're blind. So I want to invite you to make that decision. If you've never made that decision, I want you to make that decision today. Acknowledging your need for spiritual sight, making that decision to trust in Jesus. Decision that I would just even invite you to pray now with me as we close this message, confessing your need to God, making that decision to trust in him. If you're ready to make that decision, pray with me now. Jesus, I, I see my need for you. I'm blind, but I pray 
that you would help me see in this moment. Jesus, I confess my sin to you. I confess that I have rebelled against you. But in this moment, I turn back to you. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. Thank you for paying the price for my sin so that I could be in relationship with you. I trust in you. Jesus, thank you for opening my eyes. And Father, I pray for each and every one of us that we we would rejoice in the truth that we were blind and now we can see. God, that we would not forget in all the, the craziness of life, in every moment, in every decision. God, that we would not forget the simplicity and the beauty of this truth. That we were blind and you opened our eyes. Jesus, you did the work. And so how can we do anything else but thank you? How can we do anything else but give our lives to you? Jesus, I pray for opportunity this week for each and every one of us to share testimony like this man. I was blind and now I see. God, I pray that as people hear that message, hear that truth, that they would turn to you in faith. Jesus, would you do it? I pray in your name.